0: Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, Pastor Tony and Pastor Matt are off snow skiing, uh, and so they're taking a little getaway, but that's not what is most important about the ski trip that they're on. What is most important about that ski trip, um, if you've been around here anytime, you know, uh, you probably know who Ricky Naramore is. Um, Ricky is also on that ski trip, and uh, I can assure you that Pastor Tony and Pastor Matt will come back with all kinds of wonderful sermon illustrations for months and years to come. Because I cannot imagine Ricky Naramore on snow skis. Like, this is going to be good. So I'm looking forward to hearing all about it. But I'm also I'm looking forward to our time together this morning. We're going to continue our study in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If, uh, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, there are some Bibles in the pews in, in front of you. And so grab one of those Bibles. We'll be on page 1069. And, uh, and like I said, if you do not have a Bible, then that Bible that you're holding is now yours. So take that with you, and we want everybody to make sure that, we want to make sure everybody has a copy of, uh, a copy of Scripture. Um, I want to read uh, really for the past, uh, it's really been like four weeks. Everything has really been centered around 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. And everything's just kind of built off of that. So I want to read 2 Corinthians 6, 12. It says, you are not restricted. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. And so he launched into this conversation, and, and it's so true, like, we, we get held back from the things that God has for us because of our own affections. So we we come up with our own ideas, things that we want, we think that we need, think that we should pursue, We and, and it ends up getting us in all sorts of trouble. And then, you know, for the past several weeks, uh, we talked about just the influence of, of others and how important this is, like, we'll get off. Track all kinds of different ways through relationships, and God specifically created us to be very influenceable. All right, like that we would be influenced by the people around us because the people around us should be helping us to grow in godliness and shaping us and molding us and heading us in the the direction that God has for us. What happens is, is oftentimes we allow ourselves to be influenced by. by things other than that and people other than that. And so if you haven't had a chance, really if you've missed any of the last several weeks, it would be wonderful for you, it would be really good for you to go back, go to the website and listen to, uh, listen to those sermons because everything has just kind of been building and been predicated uh, on, this, on this truth. And so, you know, just this idea of relationships. And then last week we launched into a discussion on, uh, about hard conversations. And when we get off track, so when we allow ourselves to be influenced in a direction in which we ought not be going, um, how do we get back on course? And God uses a lot of different things, but in this case, he used He used Paul. And uh, so he used Paul having a hard conversation with the church in, in Corinth to bring them back, to restore them and bring them back to where God had called them to be. And so we, we spent a lot of time, Pastor Tony did a wonderful job of just really just laying the foundation for the importance the necessity for having hard conversations but not just for the necessity of it but like how do we do it and and really the heart and the motive behind having hard conversations and that that every hard conversation should be built around around truth he talked about how it shouldn't be built around uh, our traditions or our personal convictions but but these hard conversations that we need to have with with people that we dearly love and care about Need to be surrounded, and informed by the truth of what God says in His His Word, and so, like I said, if for sure if you missed last week, you need to go back and you need to listen to, um, listen to that to that sermon, um, because Paul was in this position, and if you remember, and if you read through, uh, if you read through chapter uh, seven, you'll see that that Paul was deeply grieved. That he didn't just—he uh, wasn't excited about having a conversation with them. He wasn't excited about the letter of correction that he needed to send them. Like he was—he was agonizing over this. Even after he sent the letter, remember, like he's—he's he's regretting sending the letter because he's not sure how the people are going to receive this. And, and a lot of times, we—we we draw back from having these difficult conversations because we're not sure how people are going to receive it. And one of the points that was made last week, and this is so key, is we've got to value the friend over the friendship. We've got to care more about the individual than we do about salvaging our our friendship. A lot of times we're like, hey, we just want to keep peace, and I love this person and care about this person, so I want to keep this person in my life. And so we'll turn our head or stick our head in the sand and pretend like nothing's wrong just for the sake of keeping the friendship. And that's not What true friendship is and God calls us to love them. God calls us to to do those things and so but we're going to we're going to turn a corner this morning. I want to share a story with you um, as we turn a corner. So we're all going to need to turn a corner this morning because there's a there's a danger Um, leaving our conversation last week and entering in our conversation this week. There's there's a danger in getting our focus off and being focused on on the wrong thing. So back up, so my son is about to be 28 years old this week, which I'm trying to figure out how that happened, but uh, yeah, so happy birthday, Goose. Um, So, uh, but when he was uh, 16 or 17, um, every, I feel like every young man goes through this stage. Uh, You know, he's now taller than me, he's now working out some and putting on some size and feels like he needs to test his old man, and in his mind, in his mind, he thinks he can take me, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, well, so we're standing in our kitchen one, uh, one evening, we just got done eating dinner, there's still some pots and stuff on the, on the stove, and, uh, and so he comes up behind me, and he bear hugs me from behind, he locks his arms, and he's got me, okay, now, first of all, if you think you can take somebody, you don't sneak up on them from behind, okay? I'm just saying, like, let's face each other and let's go mano a mano. But he doesn't do that. So he grabs me and he's not letting go. I mean, he's got a hold of me and he's like, I got you. And I said, son, no, you don't. And, uh, and he says, oh no, I got you. There's, you. there's nothing you can do. And I'm like, okay. You know, for a little bit, I was being the adult. I was like, okay, you know, whatever. And he's like, no, I'm serious. And, you know, we go back and forth and back and forth. And finally, I'm like, listen, you don't have me. And if you want me to prove it to you, I can. And uh, he says, no shot. And I'm like, okay. So I just did a I just did a hip toss. Now, my kitchen was not very big. And, uh, you know, he's 6'2", 6'3". I'm 6'1". Neither one of us are small individuals. Um, When I went to flip him, uh, his, now I did flip him. He ended up on the floor. I can promise you that. He ended up on the floor. But in the process of that, the pots and the pans that were on the stove, they went flying. They went flinging around the kitchen. Um, My wife was in the living room, and she jumps up, and she's like, a plane just crashed into my kitchen. You know, she's like, she has no clue what's and she. There was When she comes around the corner, there is a look of terror on her face. And she's like, what is going on? And I'm like, all I can think. Now, I'm literally standing over him. He's laying on the ground in front of me. He was behind me just a second ago. Now he's on the ground in front of me. And all I can do is point to my son and go, he made me do it. <laughs> and literally, literally, she was, she was in tears. Like, literally. She stormed out of there. She slammed the door. And I'm looking at my son I'm going, I told you, like, why'd you make me, like, what are you doing, you know? And so now there's more to this, more to the story because now I'm sitting there going, all right, what do I do now? And I'm thinking, oh, well, she's overreacting. You know what I mean? All these things are going through my head. But here's why I tell this story, and we'll come back to it in a second. We all do dumb things, okay? Can we agree with that? First and foremost, my son thinking that he could take me, right? We all do dumb things. He challenged me, but also, My response to that or my reaction to that was pretty dumb. It was a pretty dumb thing. And so here's why I tell that story. Like I want us to, as we turn the corner last week having this conversation about having hard conversations, these these difficult conversations that, that need to be had. Well, guess what? You and I, we do dumb things. And so one of the dangers, launching off into our text this morning, our conversation, one of the dangers would be to think, okay, when I have hard conversations with people, this is how they should respond, okay? And to look at, and maybe maybe you left here last week and you did, like God convicted you and he really impressed upon your heart that you needed to have a conversation with somebody. And, And you left here and you agonized over it the same way that, that Paul did. And then, you know, to, the danger again would be to approach our time together this morning and just think, okay, well, this is how, this is how they should have responded. Or this how, if I'm going to have a conversation, this is, this is how they're, they're supposed to, to respond. And, and, and let me say this, if God has called you to have a difficult conversation with somebody, you're not responsible for how they respond. You have zero control over how Someone responds when you confront them. You have no control. And that's awesome. Like our responsibility, this is your responsibility. Let me just give you this as we launch into our conversation this morning. Like your responsibility is to be obedient to Christ. What what goes beyond that? That's between them and God. That's not on you. So the question for us is, is how do we respond when we are confronted with our own sin? That's the, that's the direction this morning. And so we're not thinking about somebody else. We're not thinking about how they should work. How do you and I respond when we are confronted with our own sin? Now, that's oftentimes difficult for us to just honestly look in the mirror. So let's pray as we launch into the Word. Let's pray and ask God to help us, okay? God, we are so very grateful for, God, for your Word. We are thankful for our study through second corinthians and just all the things that you've shown us so far and i pray that you help us this morning i pray that god we would you would you would tear down the walls that we've built so that we might hear the things that you have to say to us this morning And so i pray that your spirit would move and work among us that you would soften hearts to receive your your word and that we would we would walk away changed as we're challenged this morning through your word so God, help us in this time. We thank you and we praise you, for you are worthy of our praise. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let's, um, let's just read through this text, and then we'll, we'll unpack a few, um, a few ideas. All right. So uh, Pastor Tony read through verse 9 last week, but we'll back up to verse 8, and then we'll read through the end of the chapter. For even if I made you grieve with my letter... I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. In verse 11, of God, therefore, we are comforted, and besides our own comfort, we still uh, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because of his spirit has refreshed, been refreshed by you all. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true, and his affection for you is even greater. As he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling, I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Okay, so um, hopefully you have, uh, if you've been walking with Christ for any period of time at all, hopefully you've been on the receiving end of, of some difficult conversations. Um, because if, if we have people around us that love us, then we should have people in our lives that are trying to help us along the path of sanctification and growing in our walk with Christ. Um, So, you know, how are we called to respond? You you know, we're going to get a good example of that from the Corinthian church, but I think this is an important conversation because I thought over, um, I thought just about some of the common ways that I've seen people respond to difficult conversations in the path over the years of just um, being in ministry and being a believer. Um, So let's just talk about a few. Let's talk about some of the ways that people not not us but people how how people will respond oftentimes one of the initial responses is to justify our actions right whenever we're confronted we just justify why we've done what we've why we've done what we've done right but so for instance why did I flip goose over in the middle of the kitchen you know my wife ends up telling me when I walk in the bedroom she's like you're the adult I'm like yeah but he made me do it. Right? I'm standing over him and I'm like, all I'm doing is defense mode. Like he kept egging me on, egging me on, egging me on. I had no choice but to respond and do the thing that I did. And we do that all the time. So we'll justify our actions. And so we'll we'll defend, we'll give our defense. We'll plead our case. This is why we do. I didn't just do this just because I thought it was a great idea. This is why. And this I have a very good reason for doing for doing what I did, or we minimize sin in our life and, and present it as being no big deal. Another thing that we'll do is we'll, we'll lash out at the person that's, that's confronting us. Now, somebody is agonized over confronting you, poured out their heart in prayer, and then they come to you, and then what ends up happening is, is we'll oftentimes lash out at that person, and we'll point out all their flaws and all the ways in which they have no right to be having this conversation Uh, conversation with me and so if we're not careful we can we can lash out at the the individual who cared enough to come and say something to us you know so you know whenever I uh, pick goose up off the floor and uh, after my wife had slammed the door and gone off into her room our room now her room uh, (laughs) all I can think about is she's overreacting. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, we're just boys having a good time. You know what I mean? But in our mind, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. I mean, I'm, it's, I know this is lighthearted, but the point is, it's like we, we really will. We'll, we'll point out all the flaws. Or when somebody confronts us, we'll, we'll take everybody else down with us. Right? We'll play the comparison game. Well, do you know what so and so did? Do you know what so and so is doing? Do you know what's going on with them? Like why are you having this conversation with me? There's plenty of other people that you should be having conversations with. And so, we'll lash out to at the individual and point out their flaws. and and oftentimes that's one of the reasons why we don't have hard conversations because we know that we have our own flaws and faults, right? And there should be a, a like there should be a process through which we we enter into this conversation, right? We should take the log out of our own eye before we go to pull the speck out of another's. But the truth is, it's like we, we are called to have hard conversations, and oftentimes what we'll do is we'll, we'll just lash out to the individual. Here's another one. We'll oftentimes not say anything in the middle of that conversation, but we'll leave that conversation, then we'll run around talking to everybody else, pleading our case about why this is unfair and why we've had this conversation. And so completely, you know, this is, this is a, another typical Uh, typical response and this is probably my favorite this is now I worked with teenagers for a lot of years so this was typically I saved it for last but this was typically number one on um on the list try to figure out who ratted me out like who told who told you how do you know about this right now sometimes sometimes you see it yourself you see it with your own eyes but sometimes um God in Scripture's clear that your sins will surely find you out. God will expose and bring your sins to light eventually. You continue to do the things you're doing long enough, it's going to eventually come to light. And it's God that exposes that. And so you're focused on the on the wrong thing. And all that is is a deflection. It, it's, it's just a deflection. Like and really, all of these are deflections. Like I just want to deflect off of the conversation off of me, and deflect onto something else so we don't have to I don't have to face what is right in front of me okay and so that's not the response that we see in in 2 Corinthians but we need to understand what is because the question is okay well these are things that we often do but this isn't how we are to respond so what should we do and the answer there is is repentance but then the next question is is okay well well what is what is repentance? We have to understand this. So let's talk about what it's not. Respon- uh, repentance is far more than just feeling regret or saying, I'm sorry. Okay, so because a lot of people think that just saying I'm sorry is, is repenting. And that's not what Scripture teaches, it's far more than just feeling bad about something or feel sorry or remorse or grief. And far more than just saying, hey, I'm sorry. Like, I, I hate that I hurt you. I didn't, you know, um, when, my kids were, when my kids were younger, um, when they got in trouble, they both um, they responded a little bit differently. So when my son would get in trouble and he knew that the wooden spoon was about to come out, he would go to his um, room and his, his mode of getting through what was about to come was layers layers, right? And so he would, he would, when I would go into the bedroom, he would, I would go in and he looked like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. I mean, like he's got six pairs of underwear, four pairs of shorts, you know, and I'm like, and it sounds a little different when you, when you, when you hit with the wooden spoon on that than when you hit, right? And so that was his approach to, you know, preparing for what was coming. My daughter, on the other hand, she was just going to do anything that she could to get out of it. She's gonna to try to talk her way out of it she's gonna do anything she can to get out of what's about what she knows is about to come and so I can remember like um, I would go in and we'd have a conversation about what you know about why what they did was wrong and the importance of you know how do we move forward and yada 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 and uh, and then like I'd have to grab her by the hand because she was a runner man she was gonna bolt if she had the chance she was gonna she was gonna take off and so a lot of times we would just you know I, I'd take her by the hand and then we would just play merry-go-round in her bedroom you know because she'd be running from the from the spoon and uh but I can remember I can remember she was young and we were having a conversation I think she had been lying and she had been repeatedly lying and we had given her opportunities and so she just you know nothing was changing so I'm like okay well she's about to feel the wrath of the wooden spoon and uh and so I go in there and we have a I take her by the hand, and she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Daddy, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I tried, like, I'm truly sorry, like, I'll never do this again, you know, yada, yada, and she starts going through this whole spiel, and she's like, I'm never going to do it again, I'm never going to do it, you know, and I'm like, well, that's what she said last time, you know, <laughs> like, I feel like we've been here before, um, but oftentimes, like, uh, a lot of times I'll have conversations with, with parents when their teenager or their child is going through a difficult season, um, maybe a season of rebellion and repentance is necessary, um, but it's a difficult season, and I always tell parents this: like, hey, not only is God at work in sanctifying your child through all of this, but He is also in the process of sanctifying you in the middle of this as well. And so, in that moment, I can remember, um, I can remember saying, I told her, I said, if you're truly sorry, then you'll stop doing, you'll stop. And I can remember it's almost like God just put His thumb on me, and I'm like, dang. And I don't even remember what it was at the time, but I can remember there was some I just continued to say I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but nothing was changing in my, nothing was changing in my life. That God God calls us to not just say we're sorry, not just feel bad for what we've done. My daughter genuinely she felt she felt bad, and the truth is, there's lots of people feel sorry for the mess that they've created, agreed, and wished it were different but unwilling to change the behavior that landed them in that spot. See everybody feels bad and regretful when they get caught. Everybody. That's worldly grief. I feel bad. I know this is wrong. Not because I know it's wrong, it's because now I'm busted, now it's out. You know what I mean? Or or I hurt somebody in the process. Everybody feels bad when some uh whenever uh whenever they've done something wrong but what's intended this feeling of grief is intended to to lead us to repentance there's a there's a purpose for that feeling that we all feel whenever we've done something wrong and there's a clear difference between simply feeling regret or sorrow and repentance now, i mean listen to what paul says in verse 9 as it is i rejoice not because you were grieved but because you were grieved into repenting so it's There was this sorrow, this grief, this regret that led to something. It led to repentance. That's what it's intended to do. And so we need to understand that biblical repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. It's a change of mind that results in a change of action. Right? We change our mind. So... If, if I'm at lunch today and I tell my, my wife, ask me, hey, what are you going to get? And I'm going to be like, I'm going to get the chicken. And then the server comes around and she says, uh, what would you like to order? And I'm like, I would like the steak. And my wife's going to look at me and go, what, what just happened? I'm like, well, I changed my mind. But it wasn't just like this figurative thing. Like I changed my mind and it led to an action. Like I got something different than what I had originally Said I got I did something different than what I originally thought was right in the moment. You you see what I'm saying? And so it's a it's a change of action. Luke talks about this in uh, in Luke chapter three verse eight, talking about bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. It's more than just saying I'm sorry. Like there's an action that is tied to that. In Acts 26, it says but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea. And also to the Gentiles, and listen to what it says: that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. That there is going to be action based on a change of mind. That word repentance it really means a change of a change of mind. That's what the literal definition is. It means to a change of mind. But our actions, our our behavior is going to change. Because of, because of that. So our, our deeds and our actions and our, those things are going to reflect this change of mind in keeping with repentance. And so what we see in this passage is we see that there's a big difference between godly grief and worldly grief. And what we see is one is purposeful and one is pointless. One is producing something and one leads absolutely nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. Look at verse 10 and 11. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what the earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you proved yourself innocent in the matter. Now let's have an honest conversation. Whenever somebody brings correction in our life, that's not fun. So let's not just pretend like that the reason why we act the way we do, remember all the ways in which I listed out and the ways in which we oftentimes respond, the reason why we do that is because it's not fun. Somebody's pointing out a flaw in our life. Somebody's showing us our, our faults. They're holding up a mirror and saying, look in the mirror. These are your, these are your faults. It's not comfortable oftentimes it's it's painful there's there's shame there's embarrassment there's even anger that comes along with that I mean look if you look back at verse 8 this was even initially how the Corinthians responded he says for even if I made you grieve with my letter I don't regret it though I did regret it for I see that the letter grieved you though only for a while like Because it's hard to receive. It's hard to be on the receiving end of difficult conversations and being confronted with sin in our lives. So let's just be honest about that. Let's not pretend that that's not the case. But those feelings are not meant to be punishment. They They aren't to hurt us. Like We need people in our lives. Tony mentioned this last week, but it is so true. We desperately need people in our lives that love Jesus deeply. And love us deeply. That are willing to have these hard conversations. Not to punish or to hurt us. But motivated by love. In a hope that we would be called into into repentance. You know, thinking about this contrast between godly grief and worldly grief. And purposeful and pointless. I think the perfect illustration is um, the contrast between Judas and Peter. Both Judas and Peter. They both experienced deep regret, and sorrow for what they had done. That Judas, Judas betrayed the Son of God that ultimately led to his crucifixion. That, that Jesus told Peter, it's interesting to me, he told both of them ahead of time what they were going to do. He told Judas that he would betray him and say, go on out and do what you've, you've already contemplated in your heart to do. He tells Peter that he's going to deny him. And then Peter denies him three times out of fear of having his name associated with Christ, out of fear of what might happen to him. But with Judas, he was never moved beyond regret or sorrow. And ultimately, he ended up hanging himself. But he never moved beyond regret or sorrow. I mean, he had great regret. He had great sorrow. There was great despair. But he did not change. Okay? That is worldly grief. Now, Peter, on the other hand, he was grieved into repenting. What was the reason for which he denied Jesus? It was fear. Fear of what would happen to him if he was associated with Christ. He was so scared, he trembled at a middle school girl. Like he was afraid what a middle school girl was going to do to him. Like he was so shaken with fear, like it didn't make any sense. But stop and think about it. Well, not long after that, If you go go this afternoon and read through Acts, read through the early chapters of Acts, he's the first one to stand up in front of thousands of people and declare that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So there's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. There's there's something that, that takes place. That early on, Peter was commissioned to be a fisher of men and he lived the rest of his life living out that calling. Did he get it right all the time? Did he live it out perfectly? Well, no, he didn't. He did This feeling, this, this grief is meant to be a path towards wisdom and repentance and restoration and growth. That's what it's meant for. So let's look at this passage and talk about some of the evidences that grief uh, leading to repentance. And, and I want to say this before we dive into these. Um, we're talking specifically about difficult conversations, but I don't want you to check out of the room and only think that this applies to difficult conversations. This is specifically what's going on in this passage, but um, we're confronted by our sin in a lot of different ways, okay? And so um, and, and a lot of times it's a combination of things. It's not just one thing, and we don't know. Maybe there was more going on here than just this. We know Paul had a, a difficult conversation, but Sometimes it's, sometimes it's people like we see here, like we're confronted by our sin through people. Sometimes it's through the Word of God. We'll, we'll be in here on a Sunday morning and you'll be confronted with the Word of God. Or maybe it's just personal time in the Word of God and God convicts our heart of sin in our life. Sometimes it's just situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in that, that, that bring to the surface this sin in our life. And Sometimes it's the consequences of our dumb things that we've done that we realize, wait a minute. But God will use all sorts of different things to confront us. And so I don't want you to think, okay, well, this only applies. Because this is really whenever we're confronted with the reality that we're a sinner. We're confronted with the reality of the sin in our life. How are we to respond? What are we, what are we to do? Okay? So, <coughs> number one, earnestness. Earnestness. So if you in, in verse... 11 it says for we see the earnestness this godly grief has produced in you in this idea that it's a it's a sincerity of heart that that we we look in the in the mirror and we take responsibility we quit we quit justifying we quit defending our actions and we own it this was wrong the word of god clearly states that i'm i'm not right here and i'm not headed in the right direction we own it we take responsibility for who we are for what we've done and we really look take a look inwardly and say okay wh- why am i here how did i get here you know sometimes i i, I even um i talked about the fact that you know not everything that everybody says is um is accurate <coughs> Or not accurate. Well, I mean, not everything that everybody says is accurate. Not everybody's motives are pure. That's not always the case. But whenever somebody confronts me on something, I always do, um, I always do the same thing. I always, I always look inwardly because I feel like no matter who it is that's saying it, no matter what their motive, no matter, there's an opportunity for growth in me. And not everything that they're saying may be true, but as I'm gonna to go to the word of God and I'm gonna I'm gonna say, what does God have to say about this? Is there something in my life that you want God, you'll use anything and anybody to produce in me the change that you want to see? And so there's a sincerity of heart and saying, okay, maybe they're wrong, maybe they're this, maybe that. But the truth is, is like I don't have control over that. What I have control over is me. And I want to take a good look in the mirror and say, okay, how do I respond? Is there an area of my life that you're wanting to grow me through? all of this. Okay? Number two, eagerness. Eagerness. He says, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves. That we take action to right our wrong. We take action to right our wrong. That we do our part. So we take responsibility and then we do our part to clean up the mess of our decisions. Now that may may not mean we can clean up everything, but we're called to to do something. He says that you're eager to clear yourselves, to make this wrong right. And that's what we're called to, that's what we're called to do. And this is this is difficult. It's way easier to in, to get alone with God and to confess our sin before him and say, you know what? You're right, I was wrong. It's way more difficult to go and to fix the mess that we created. That's that's harder. That that requires some humility. That requires that requires some work on our part. And so that's, let's just be honest, that's, that's difficult. But receiving correction opens the door to restoration and reconciliation. But when pride enters the equation and resentment in the middle of this, what it does is it, it bolts the door to seeing any need for repentance in our life. The pride is the, is the opposite of humility and that will keep us. And so instead of being prideful, the people here, they sought to, to obey. And to prove their obedience through action and through humility. Number three, indignation, indignation, to take a correct attitude towards towards sin. To take a correct attitude towards sin. Okay, so we we own it, right? We there's this understanding that that this sin is something that God is opposed to instead of. Minimizing it or justifying it, what we should do is we should mourn over sin in our lives. We should be broken over sin in our lives, instead of minimizing or defending or celebrating that we're. We should be broken over the sin in our life. And so, what would it look like for a man who's um, confronted in sin that he would that he would he would be honest and be broken? over pride in his life, or broken over lust in his life or broken over the spirit of passivity in his life like whatever it is that that we would be broken or a woman would be um, broken or weep over gossip in her life or vanity or a critical spirit or a teenager who um, who would say, hey, like I'm more concerned, about what God says and what God wants than bowing to the pressure of the, the people around me and caring more about what, what other teenagers think than what the God of the universe thinks. Or somebody, a teenager who's broken over lying or being deceptive with their parents. Or, you know, the, the point is, is that we take a right approach and a right posture before sin. That's what we're called to, that's what we're called to do. Number four, fear. He talks about fear in this passage. And really it's just a renewed reverence for God. A renewed reverence for God. Here's what it's not about. In these situations where it's uncomfortable and we don't like it and it's hard and it's hurtful and it's all these things. It's not about the person that's in front of us. We try to make it about them. Or we try to make it about something else. But our sin... I think the perfect example of this is David when he sins with Bathsheba Bathsheba, and then has her husband killed. And what is is David? Now, his sin impacted other people clearly. It hurt other people in the process. But what does David say in Psalm 51? He comes to God and says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. It is taking a a right posture before God in light of what we've done and humbling ourselves and and renewing our reverence for God. God, it's not about how I feel or how uncomfortable. This This is about you, and I have sinned against you, and we own that. We own that. All right, number five. Number five, longing, longing. And really, it's just this desire for righteousness. It's a a desire to to grow in godliness. Understanding that that God hates sin. And as his his children, that we're to love the things that he loves. And hate the things that he he hates. And we're to pursue the things that he loves and that lead towards him. And walk in in obedience. And our response to, to sin should be repentance. And it's doing one of two things. The way in which we respond to sin is doing one of two things. It's either advancing or hindering our process of sanctification. Okay? So the process through which we grow as a Christian, how we respond to sin when we're confronted with it, is it's either advancing this process of sanctification or it's hindering the process of sanctification. And so what God wants is for us to cooperate with Him and what He's, he's wanting to do in us to begin with. And lastly, number six, zeal, enthusiasm for doing what is right. And, and I want to, you know, I want to say this. I want to say that um, repentance is—it's um, a way of life. It is—it is progressive. God, look, God never called you to be perfect. It is impossible. There's only been one. And because of his perfection, we can live the life he created us for. But there's been only one. What he's called us to is progress. What he's called us to is is growing. And so, J.I. Packer, this is a quote from J.I. Packer in, in describing repentance. Repentance is turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of God. Now, you got it on a handout you can go home and you can just marinate on that later but really what he's saying is is that that repentance it's it's a it's a process that it's it's progressive like the things that you know about yourself the things that you know about God the things that you know about sin they're vastly different today than the day that you surrendered your life to Christ so you grow in your understanding of God. You grow in your understanding of yourself. You grow in your understanding of sin. And through this process of God enlightening us of those things, we're to grow in repentance. We're to walk out that, that repentance. And so it's progressive. This is how we come to Christ. The only way to come to Christ is repentance. And the only way to grow in Christ is Repentance. It's, it's how we come to Christ and it's how we, we grow in Christ. And the longer that we walk with Christ, the more we grow in repentance. Um, you know, there's a, I feel like the only way to preach a sermon is to, um, is to preach it to myself first. I feel like that, like before I can ever stand up here uh, on the platform and preach a sermon and expect you to respond is like I've got to preach it to my to myself first so that I can respond in my own heart to what God is and show me and a lot of times I'm just maybe you've heard Matt or Tony talk about this or maybe Chandler um, but you know a lot of times when you're when you're preaching on something God will give you great opportunity to do exactly what it is that you're preaching on so there are certain things like Man, why do I have to preach on this? Because I know that God's going to nail me to the wall. So literally, it was just this week, uh, I had someone call me, and they're like, hey, I don't appreciate the way in which you handled this. And my initial response was because, like, well, hold on. like, And, and in my mind, I... Like I, I was justified in the way I was doing. And like I really had thought this through and I was doing it a particular way. And I was, you know, this is the reason why I handled this way. And so what did I do? My initial reaction was just um, defend myself, explain my actions. And there wasn't any taking responsibility. There wasn't any sincerity of heart. There wasn't any of these things. And so literally I got the call while I'm preparing for this sermon. How awesome is that? And so I get off the phone and I'm like, Well, hold on, you know, and I'm so I'm replaying this and replaying that and thinking, well, should I, you know, and then I go to God and I'm like, okay, okay, And so I wrestled with it for that afternoon and that evening and I got up and I was spending time with the Lord the next morning and I realized I got to make a phone call. I got to make a phone call. And so I picked up the phone and I called and I said, "Hey, I just want you to know I take full responsibility for this because, I, I want you to know my motives were in the right place, but I, I handled this poorly, and moving forward it will not be this way. So, I just want you to understand, like I'm I'm in this with you, like we're in this together. That there's it's progressive and you never move beyond repentance. Amen. Nobody in the in the room moves." beyond repentance, ever, including the guy with the microphone attached to his face. Like, none of us. And so, you know, as we talk about these evidences, all these these six evidences, we understand that, we understand, and this is important before we we land the plane and bring everything home, is that repentance is not found in seeking change. I don't want you to leave here this morning and think, okay, well, I've got to seek these things. I've got to do these things. These are evidences of the reality that change is taking place. See, repentance comes through seeking God. That's that's where true reprent, repentance lies. And so, we seek God. And as he enlightens us and brings things to exposes things in us and in our lives, then we respond the correct ways to respond in and repentance but it comes through seeking seeking god and then one last quick point is that um, you know we like to think that our sin or our response to sin isn't hurting anyone but ourselves we like to convince us uh, ourselves of that truth we like to tell ourselves that we're not hurting anybody and we're really not even hurting ourselves but we fully convince ourselves that we're not hurting anybody hurting anybody else and let's just be honest that's a lie That is a lie. There is always collateral damage when sin is involved. It's not just hurting us. It's hurting the people around us. I mean, just look at this situation. I mean, look how deeply Paul was hurt in the middle of this. Look look at how it included is, is, you know, you've been here for the last few weeks. You understand that this this involved Timothy. It involved Titus. He he talks about the one who committed the wrong. He talks about the one who had, had been wrong. Inevitably, there are people in the in the Corinthian church that were damaged through all of this. And so we see, and then ultimately above everything else, but the the reputation in the name of Christ was damaged. And that should be our primary concern, not about how we feel or how uncomfortable it makes us, but the reputation and the name and the renown of Jesus Christ. We care about God before we care about ourselves. But there's collateral damage. It It doesn't just hurt us. It hurts people around us. And so there's some people in the room, I have no doubt, because there's a bunch of people in the room. There's no way that this is not true. There's some people in the room that you have relationships in turmoil. You have relationships in turmoil, both with God and with people. And maybe you've been taking a puffed-up attitude or an arrogant approach, thinking that you got it all figured out, that you're right, you're justified in what you've done and what you're doing, the way in which you've handled it. You're going to continue to do it your way. And there's a path for reconciliation, both with you and with God. And it's called repentance. It's called repentance. And so, look at the, look at the restoration that takes place. If you, if you read verse 13 through 16, it says, Therefore we are comforted. Think about all that's gone on, the turmoil that existed between Paul and, and the church. And besides our own comfort, we still rejoice more at the time, uh, more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was, put, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you is true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. There's, there's a path for restoration. There's a path for reconciliation, and it's repentance. So if, if we're just going to take and put everything that we just had a conversation about and just a couple points to walk away with, here's what I would say. Here's the keys to moving forward. You and I need to take personal responsibility and make serious changes. When we're confronted with sin in our life, what we're called to do is take personal responsibility for our actions. Not for what other people have done, not for this, not for that, not for what other people are doing, but hold on. like We're going we're gonna to look in the mirror. We're going to take responsibility for our own actions and make serious changes. Responsibility, taking responsibility is only the first step. That's the first step. We're called to turn around and head it in a different direction. That's what we're called to do. That's what repentance looks like. And as uncomfortable, and I just want to leave you with this thought, as uncomfortable and convicting it is, receiving, uh, being on the receiving end of difficult conversations, they are evidence that you are deeply loved. They are deeply as, as uncomfortable as it is, and we've already established it's uncomfortable, right? We can all agree to that. But the God of the universe sees you, and He cares too much about you to leave you where you are. That he sent a messenger to you. He brought conviction through his Holy Spirit in your life. He spoke to you through his word because he cares deeply about you. You are deeply loved. And so no matter how uncomfortable it is, it is a picture of the love and the grace of God. And it gives proof to the fact that you are loved by other people. It's a thousand times easier to do nothing. It's a thousand times easier to, to look the other way. It's it's difficult to have that conversation. It's difficult to do those things. It's easier just to to continue on. But there's somebody in your life that loves you enough and cares enough that they're willing to lay it all on the line because they care deeply about you. They can see that you're sitting on a train track and there's a train coming. And they refuse to look the other way. They refuse to do that. They're going to step in, no matter how angry or upset or how... No matter what, they care too much to not do something. And so these things that we're talking about, it is evidence of the fact that you are deeply loved by God and by his people, right? So last point, repentance is a gift of grace. It's a gift. It's a gift. It may not always feel like a gift. We... We may not receive it as a gift, but that's what it's intended to be. And all the feelings that rise up in us whenever we've we've done wrong, when we've hurt someone, when we've all those things are meant to lead us, take us to down the path of reconciliation. And that path is only found through repentance. And it is a gift from God so that it might restore our relationship with Him and restore our relationship with other people. Right? So let's pray. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for, God, your word, and we are thankful for the gift of repentance. And it really is, it really is a gift. It's a gift from you. And so I pray, Lord, that you help us to respond the way in which you would have us to. Lord, I know that there's there's situations in this room, there's circumstances, and there's things going on. I know there are people in this room that know that there's something in our life that you're calling them to repentance, and I pray that they would respond as you would have them to. God, the truth is, is every day we're faced with opportunities for repentance because every day we make a mess of things. And so, God, I pray that you would just help us to, to grow in this area in our life, that our our life would just be a, a progression, God, of obedience, a progression of repentance, God, that you would use Use repentance in our life to bring about the change in us that you desire to see. So, Lord, we thank you. We love you. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for for loving us enough to, to be a good father and to make us feel uncomfortable so that we might be more like Christ. We thank you and we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you would you stand? We're gonna. What I want to do this morning is we'll have a we'll have a time of response. I want to give you the opportunity to um, to take the first step. The first step is what taking responsibility. Maybe maybe the first step for you is to just come and take a correct posture before the Lord, have a renewed reverence for for God, to really take responsibility and own some sin in your life and and again that's just the first step but it's a step it's a step and so the idea is that hey we don't just gain some information when we gather together around God's word he doesn't want us to be more knowledgeable he wants us to be more obedient that's what he's calling us to and so I just encourage you wherever you are whatever season you find yourself whatever's going on in your heart and your life you know that God knows that, and so I encourage you in this time just to respond in obedience to what God's calling you to do. And then, when we leave this place, it's about changing of mind that cha- leads to change of action. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to make how are you going to make this right? What are you going to do? So let's respond as God's called you to respond.